Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Everyone, you can have a seat, and again, you can uh, remove your masks. It makes it a lot easier. I can see if you're smiling. I can see if you disagree. I can see if you're mad. It helps. It helps. Just uh, not being able to see your faces, it's, uh, it's really, really nice to be able to feel like we're moving outside of, you know, the difficult seasons of, uh, of COVID restrictions. And, uh, and if you're here for the first time, like if you've just been back, we're just... Wow, I talked to a few people a few weeks ago, and they were saying to me how it was their first time back, and as they were driving to the building, they got emotional. They just started to cry, just a feeling of like, wow, like this is so important. Thanks, Steve. Uh, this is such an important thing for us to be learning together. And, and, you know, just there's all kinds of surprises that happen as we come back to the building, and, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, finding our way. Last week when, when I left the service, some of you maybe remember this, when we left the service, we got outside and our van had a flat on it. And, and Will said to me, Dom, I think maybe somebody didn't like your preaching. And I said, it's the kind of trick, you remember that, Will? Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, I said uh, yeah, if you don't like my preaching, you know, there's other churches. Uh, no, but I'm kidding. The flat, the flat was there. <laughs> the flat was, was there before. Uh, my wife, you know, she, uh, she drives the van. I don't know what happened, but I'm just saying. Okay, so uh, we're learning about prayer. We're learning about prayer, and we're, we've been in this series on prayer. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think happens when we think about prayer, I think this happens to me sometimes, is we often struggle with understanding how the Bible invites us to rethink prayer in a way that maybe we never thought of before. I mean, we've been in a series almost doing this, going verse by verse in a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. And there's this moment, you know, every time I think about this, I, I'm always reminded that the people who are following Jesus, they know how to pray. They've been praying their whole lives. But there's something about the way Jesus prays that makes them realize that the way they pray needs to be modified or changed or grow, how they, they're going to they're gonna understand prayer in a new way. And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but there's sometimes in my life after a while I realize, oh, I kind of I'll do it my own way. And prayer is one of those things in our life, well, I'll just figure it out. And actually the truth is that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray because praying the way Jesus invites us to pray is not something you just figure out. It's not something you fall into by being like, oh, I got better at praying, or I started to pray more. There's something that I often do with young couples when I do pre-marriage counseling. I feel like as we open up, people are getting married, and this is the season of the year where I often kind of spend time with couples who are about to get married. And oftentimes in that pre-marriage counseling time, I'll often ask this question. It's probably the most awkward question that I ask them, and you can feel the room gets very, very awkward when I ask this, so it's, it's great. I say to them, hey, you guys are making plans for your budget. You're making plans for the future, making plans for kids. I say, which one of you is going to teach your kids how to pray? And very quickly, it's like, oh, but uh, I gotta go, I think we gotta go, session's over. No, nobody says that. But, <laughs> but, but there's a sense that we think almost like, well, nobody has to really teach anybody. Like, they're gonna figure it out as they go. And we've been in a series that's forcing us to realize we don't just figure it out as we go. 
Jesus says, you all know how to pray in a general sense. You've been praying to the God of Israel, your Jewish people, but let me show you just a step further of how I'm going to teach you to pray. And my prayer for us has been not only that you're learning in the series with us, maybe you're watching, you're tracking along, but that you are developing in your own heart this longing to pray more consistently. Because the only way you kind of are shaped to pray in a new way is by praying by actually slowing down to pray and to listen and to grow. And I said this, I'm not going to go back and say it again, but let me just remind you of one important thing. Prayer is not just speaking to God. Okay, nobody has to learn how to speak. We just speak. If Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's doing something more than just us just deciding we're going to speak to God. And if you've been in this series, you know that sometimes just speaking to God is still a reminder that we get to talk to God when we want and when our life is fine, we don't have to speak to him. Jesus is inviting his disciples, he's inviting all of us, to understand that speaking to God is also learning to commune with God, to hear and to listen. And sometimes in your life, you'll learn this, that when you slow down to pray, you have nothing to say. There are no words. If it's a moment of confusion, if it's a moment of sadness, if it's a moment of grief, if it's a moment of of sheer excitement, joy, there's almost no words even for thankfulness. You're like, I just have no words. God has been so good. Sometimes prayer is not speaking at all. It's this communion and this sense that God is transforming, teaching. And, and, you know, we talked about this, that when we start to pray, when we learn to pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, we enter a conversation that's already happening. That from the beginning of time, all of creation is singing and worshiping God. And our prayers kind of go, like, kind of enter into that kind of a space. This morning as I begin, I want to tell you of a time in the life of Jesus where I think the disciples start to realize Jesus prays differently. There's something about Jesus that he needs to teach us about how he prays, and it happens on one of the most painful days of Jesus' life. If you think about the most painful day of Jesus' life, you probably think it's the day that he realizes he's going to go die on the cross. Most likely one of the most painful. Maybe the other most painful day is the day that Lazarus dies. We know that it's extremely painful for Jesus when Lazarus dies. But I want to tell you about another moment in the life of Jesus where the disciples realize that praying for Jesus is something different than how maybe they had understood it. And it happens right at the beginning of his ministry when his cousin, John the Baptist, gets in a lot of trouble. John the Baptist is called in the Bible the forerunner. He's the messenger that comes before Jesus to tell us about Jesus. And you know, if you're in Quebec, you know this. If you're watching from elsewhere, you might not know this. Then in a few days, we're going to hear about the celebration of La Saint-Jean how significant that is for us in Quebec, what that means for culture, for customs, for religion, good and bad, all kinds of fun things, right? But John the Baptist in the Bible has a moment where he gets into an incredible, incredible, difficult situation. And he's so in trouble that there's a woman, her name is Herodias, you'll see a picture of her on the screen in a second. She decides that she cannot stand John the Baptist, and she comes with an idea. She says, let's have a party, and at this party, let's have John the Baptist killed. You're like, this is crazy. Like, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, right? And what ends up happening is not only they're going to have him killed, you know, if you look at the art of John the Baptist being killed, she's going to ask for his head on a platter. Jesus eventually hears about this. I think of myself hearing about the beginning of your ministry, success, what God's going to do. It's a new vision, the kingdom of God. John is now dead. This is what we're told happens. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. 
And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. You think Jesus cried? You think Jesus yelled? You think Jesus prayed? Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. What kind of person lives out of a moment of deep, deep grief and yet is focused on the mission that God gave him to now heal others? I mean, I read this story and I'm like, wait a second. Why didn't they just pray that John didn't die? Why didn't just Jesus pray and just make sure that things got better? See, for us, that's what prayer usually becomes. Prayer is a useful tool to get us out of problems. When Jesus teaches us to pray, Jesus teaches us that prayer is a gift. Let me just say one thing. If, you, if you're not into the series, you're going to stop listening. Maybe you're watching online. You're like, ah, prayer, you know, whatever. I'm not into that. If you're waiting to understand how prayer becomes useful, you'll never pray. You'll never pray. Because prayer is not just about how useful it is for you or for me in our lives. And Jesus has a way of teaching his disciples how even he himself doesn't just pray to fix the problems of the world. He doesn't just pray so things get better. And so many people, I was tempted to, to learn about prayer this way. Like, I'll become a Christian and God's going to bless me. I'm going to learn how to pray and things are going to be better. I'm going to pray. And all of a sudden, you start to think about, how is prayer going to be more useful for me? And you realize that usefulness is the way the world measures things in this, in this life. How useful are things? Just think about anything that you do in life. You're going to buy something. I do this. I'm at the store. I'm going to buy something. It's on sale. I'm like, how useful is this going to be? How many times am I going to use it? Is it really worth buying? Right? Usefulness is the category for everything in the modern world. How useful. And then you bring that way of thinking to prayer, and guess what you'll never do? Pray. Because you're like, I can't really figure out how useful it's going to be. And yet, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we have this moment where Jesus could have said, let me show you how prayer is useful, and instead he's going to show you how prayer keeps you focused on the presence of God when you don't know how this is going to be useful. When you don't understand how all of this is going to come together. Right at the beginning, and the people who follow Jesus are like, man, Jesus, you're going to have to teach us how you prayed. You're going to have to teach us how in the midst of this painful season, you want to heal people? Like, I don't want to talk to people if I stub my toe. Like, if I have just like, you know, some of you, you have a little thing, you're like, leave me alone, I had a bad day, migraine, can't do that. Like, Jesus, John the Baptist dies, he's on a boat, he prays, he's out, who needs help? How do we remind him of God's love? How do we remind them that God cares? Do you think there's people in the crowd that are like, why didn't you hear John? John's dead. Hecklers everywhere. There's got to be hecklers. It'd be great if the Bible tells us all the people are like, he's a fraud. John the Baptist is dead. Jesus is like, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you. I have to learn how to pray. Think of painful moments in your life where you were tempted to stop praying. Where you were tempted to believe that prayer doesn't really change anything. So you know what? Why do it? It doesn't seem useful. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to maybe solve all your problems. You know what? I'll just pray when that happens. If that's what you're waiting for, you will never pray. Never. 
And that's why the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, something begins to happen that the way Jesus prays, the way he lives, the way he acts, the way he, he, he does the will of the Father, makes his disciples say, Jesus, whoa, 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 before we go any further here, you have to teach us how to pray like this. Show us. And he does this by this prayer. We've looked at this prayer. We started to go through it. We, again, verse by verse. I want to just read just the beginning of this prayer, just at the, the beginning part of it that we've been looking at. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer protects us from being tempted to think that we pray just to get something useful out of God. It always protects us because the prayer begins by not being about us. The prayer begins by teaching us not only how to pray, but almost how to worship and pray. And if you've been watching, you know this. I talked about this. That when we pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, we're realizing that maybe what we have to say is secondary or maybe not as important. And Jesus is like, you know that this God that you worship, this God that you should pray to, this God that you're learning to pray to, this God has a will and he's accomplishing certain things and his kingdom is coming and you need to understand how your life fits into his kingdom that is coming and actually what we're going to look at next in the prayer is really important because jesus is going to now turn the prayer's attention to us it begins with a focus on god it begins on the with a focus on god's will and what god wants to do and then the prayer finally gets to us i wish the prayer was the other way around let's begin with us and at the end tell us that god loves us let's do that she's like no you're going to have to pray in this way you're going to learn how to pray in a sense that your prayers are part of something bigger. You're going to learn to pray that what you're going to ask for in just a minute might not fit the will of this God that you're praying to. Are you okay when you don't get it? Are you okay with learning about what the will of this God is when you want to have your own will done? And one of the things that John does, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, it'll help you. John places this, uh, not John, sorry, Matthew places this prayer in a section of a sermon that Jesus preaches. And if you're looking at it, Matthew, you'll see it in your Bible, like the whole section of Matthew chapter 6 is right around the prayer are all these human things that we feel every day. Jesus is going to talk about worry. He's going to talk about success. He's going to talk about poverty. He's going to talk about all of these human elements of life that we always think about when we think about prayer. When I, you know, had our kids and I remember becoming a dad and just the whole idea of being a father, I remember it was one of the most stressful times in my life. I experienced a lot of worry. I'm like, I don't think I know how to be a dad. What if I fail? Is this going to work? Whatever. You know, now I'm the coolest dad ever. But back then, it wasn't like that. But some of you got that. Some of you just woke up. <laughs> some of you are like, well, Anyway. I, I prayed a lot in that season. And I found this pattern in my life. I pray when I'm worried, but then when I'm not worried, I don't pray. I pray when I'm stressed, and then when I'm not, I don't pray. I, I kind of like, again, I started to develop this pattern. I'm like, God, I got to learn to get out of this roller coaster Christianity up, down, I'm not sure. And this prayer just teaches us, no, no, this is the consistency of who you're going to be. This is who God calls you to be. This is what it means to trust God in the everyday issues of life. This the painful struggles of human life. Because prayer is not magic. Okay? If you learn anything about how Jesus teaches us to pray, is that prayer makes us more human, not less human. Just let that sink in, just for a bit. Praying makes us more human, not less human. I'm going to talk more about this as the series continues, that this idea that many of us see prayer as something that makes us not worry about anything versus being people who trust God in the midst of real-life issues. Because when prayer is something that we use to not have to deal with life, it's called magic in the Bible. And God warns us against anything that has to do with making God some magician 
that fixes everything right away, right? Remember, even Jesus doesn't fix everything. He sometimes says you're going to learn to pray when things are painful. And this morning, I just want to take some time and live in this one verse. It's full. We can spend like an hour just on this one verse. That's what it says. The next part of the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Wow. Jesus, like when you pray, before we get to you, now we finally get to us, right? You pray, Father in heaven who loves us, who is a kingdom that's coming, would you give us today our daily bread? Every time I read this part of the prayer, I think about maybe the simplest way of teaching young kids how to pray. You know, I, I think as I'm trying to be a dad and, and trying to learn how to help our kids pray and in our church, we think of our kids' ministry, this is probably like there's a simple way of understanding this part of the prayer, of just saying, God, today we thank you for providing for us. Have you ever done that? It's one of the easiest things you can do, right? You can just say, thank you for this meal, thank you for this water. You know, right now as we speak, we think about lunch. Thousands, millions of people around the world are praying that God will provide one meal. One meal. I think about the lessons that we have to learn from the developing world, Christians around the world, people around the world who pray this part of the prayer and are like, God, you have to answer our prayer today. Where for us sometimes this part of the prayer, it's like, I used to pray this part, but now, you know what? I'm rich. I don't pray this. Everything's fine. And this started to happen to me. As I got older and I got a job and things kind of improved and things kind of went my way, I thought, you know what? I don't really have to pray this anymore. Like, I got, everything's fine. I got more than daily bread. I got more than daily bread, more than just for one day. And you start to believe, you know what, this sense that maybe it's even, it's like my hard work. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible holds in tension two very important things. The Bible warns us that people who are lazy shouldn't eat. It's a profound thing. And then at the same time, give us our daily bread and help us to trust you. So, you know, you're like stuck in this, like, okay, which one is it? Like, we work, do we eat, do we thank God? And it's like, Jesus says that when you're praying, remember that even the strength that you use to experience the blessings of life come because God sustains you. God is sustaining you. God is sustaining me. And in that moment, let's just say that there's a simple way of understanding this prayer. A very simple way of understanding this part of the prayer, that God would continue to provide just the essentials for us. And let's just agree together where you're watching from, I'm not sure, that God has provided so much more. But at the heart of this prayer, what Jesus is going to remind us is that not only is God holy, not only is He a loving Father, but God is generous. That God is a God who takes care of us. He pays attention to the things that we need. Not the things that we want, although sometimes I wish that God was like that. The things that we need, and He provides. Let's just see that as the simple level of understanding this part of the prayer, right? Because every single person in this room should have the ultimate question. Well, wait a second. Why doesn't God provide for everybody? Like, if God answers this prayer, why is there poor people? And very, very quickly, I've done this in my life. I'm like, wait a second, you know, like, this prayer, it's not, I mean, it's nice if you, if you need prayer, if you believe in God. But it doesn't really happen. Like, I know a lot of people that will pray this prayer, and tonight they're going to go to bed hungry, you know? And there's a moment as if somehow we think we're the only ones who've ever experienced famine in the world. Like, we're the first ones to see poverty. Yet Jesus is teaching people how to pray this prayer in a world where people are poor. People struggle to eat. People are wondering where God is going to provide. And there's all these temptations for them to find a way to get food from somewhere else. 
The ancient Romans were great at creating like a world that if you did the right things, you got a meal. If you, if you sold your body just for a little, you know, just for something, just a kiss, or maybe a, a favor, you can get you a meal. All of these temptations all around, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 remember, you pray every day that you will know that God will sustain you. He will provide what you need. Let me just show you just a passage in the book of Acts. I want to show you a passage in the book of Acts, right in the New Testament, where we know in the ancient world there would have been a famine right during the time of the early church. This is what we're told. The book of Acts chapter 11 says this, Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Very, very quickly we learn that the Christians in the Bible know what it's like to see other people struggling for essentials when there's a famine. Have you ever lived through a famine? I, I, I don't know. Not, not me. Anyone? You kind of have to, like, nah, I'm trying to think about it. But already the people in the Bible know what it's like to pray this prayer, to be shaped by this prayer, and to see some people not have enough to eat, to live. And they decide, wait a second, we've been praying a prayer that makes us generous people. We've been praying a prayer that reminds us that God not only provides for us what we need daily, but God makes us the people that provide for others who don't have a meal. God shapes us into people who want to be generous the way that God, who is in heaven, is generous with us. And we see this in the early church right away, how this is what begins to shape the Christians, not only that God provides for them, but that God uses us to provide for others. Those who pray this prayer are awake and alert to the needs of those around them. Those who pray this prayer not only say, hey, I'm praying for you, but I'm praying for you and God has provided for me and I have something that will help you as well. Are you a generous person? Do you struggle with being generous? Maybe you're generous like with your giving, but you're not generous with your time. You know, I used to pastor a church and there would be somebody at this church and I would meet with them, love the church, and you know, they would sign a check and give us a check for $10,000 any day, but they'd never serve in any ministry of our church. I said, you're such a generous person with your finances. How about you keep your money and serve us in another way? Whoa, whoa, I'll just, I'll just, yeah, I can just give. What area of generosity might God have to just touch in your heart to say, hey, you're generous in this way, but what about this way? Are you generous with how you pray for others? Are you generous but with your time to encourage someone that they might need something? You know when we're really going to see this? As things open up after COVID. Because you know what's become really, really easy for us to do? That our time is ours. Curfew, whew, I don't have to, oh, it's nice, I don't have to see anyone. Let's zoom it up, let's zoom it up, everybody, this is good. We can pretend to care, do the no, no, see, like nobody sees you if you don't want to shower for like 17 days. Uh, you know, like whatever. And all of a sudden you're like, like I got to make time? Oh my goodness, I have to make time. Let's just, let's just say I didn't get vaccinated. I don't know. People have all kinds of things that they want to say. You can make all kinds of things up. And God says, are you a person who's been shaped by a prayer that reminds you that God is generous? So you live generously. Not only with your resources, but with your time. And when that happens, something happens to us. And I want to just maybe help you to see this in a different way. And, and if, again, if you look at Matthew's gospel, you'll see that Jesus is going to talk about fasting right around prayer. Because fasting is a reminder that we're not just sustained by our food. We're sustained by something greater. 
And then he's going to talk about success by saying, you can go to the slide, just show the fasting and the treasure. Look at this, just right in the same section. When you fast, success. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Like that this prayer, this part of the prayer is meant to shape us into people who are careful that we don't find meaning in just having the things that we can get, that we got. I worked hard and I provided for myself. God's like, no, no, I've provided for you. And to remember that, practice fasting. When's the last time you practiced fasting? Maybe you had to because you had to do a blood test. Last time I fasted, I had to do a blood test. And you know what? I even forgot. I was like, really? It's probably not important. I'm like, I get there, the lady's like, hey, have you been fasting? See, no, you can't do this. Go home. I was like, ugh, fasting. Like, fasting is not even part of our framework. Jesus puts fasting in the section on prayer. You know what fasting does when we do it in conjunction with learning to pray? We remember that we are not sustained by food alone. It requires so much than that. We're not sustained just by the things that we get, the treasures that we have. Can I just push just a little bit further before we end today? Just a little bit further. This one verse, this one verse. People that are shaped by this verse. It's not only a prayer for those who don't have enough. You can go to the next slide. It's not only a prayer for those who don't have enough. This is a prayer also for those who don't know how much is enough. We live in that kind of world. We live in a world where we have no idea what will satisfy our greatest urges. How much money would it take for you to be happy? Don't put your, just think of the number. How many friends would you have to have to feel like, I feel joy today? We live in a world where we have no idea what it means to feel that God has really blessed us and that we have enough. It's enough. I'm happy with what I have. We live in a world that bombards us from when we're young. Like, we're about to hit, like, graduation season, and you know what everybody's going to hear in graduation talks? I should give a graduation talk somewhere. It happened one time. I gave a graduation talk that never had me back, okay? I just said, grow up, nobody cares, go get a job. I think I said something like that. The Bible college was like, not again, it's too intense. The kids started to cry, the parents sent complaints. I don't care. Anyway, so think about, like, every single person, you know, don't settle for any less. You got to hustle. You got to want to be the best. You can't settle for the wrong wife. You can't settle for the wrong job. You can't settle. At the end of the day, you're like, I'm never going to settle. And then at the end, you don't even know what you're hoping to get. We are those who are groomed to never, ever be satisfied. And marketing runs on that. Marketing runs on every day, watching something being like, yeah, yeah, I have a nice car, but that car, when you're in it, you don't hear your kids. I'm like, I'm like that's it. we need that one. <laughs> like, you just, I, you gotta have more. Like, it's gotta be more. And when we pray this prayer, we pray that not only has God provided for us our daily bread, but other people do not have daily bread. And that should bother us because we live in so much abundance that we don't even know what to do with it. And we have to learn as we pray to say, God, make us those who are satisfied. Now, I don't mean that we're not people who work hard and want to succeed and want to see things improve. I don't mean that. But I mean that, that broken temptation of just, if only I had more, if only I had more, if only I was better, if only, if only. Jesus, like, no, no. There's people who don't even have the basic essentials. Be those who are happy and content and can know that your satisfaction comes from having a God in heaven whose will is unfolding in this world. And let me just promise you that all the things we ask to for God, this prayer, fit, must fit into the will of God of what Jesus is accomplishing. 
That's what we should be praying. God, as you provide our needs, as you provide, even as we think about our church, God, as you provide, make us the kind of people that use the provision to align ourselves to the will of Jesus. Not just so that I can be happy, not only think that I can have better things. And God is so loving and gracious. He gives us such good things. Jesus is going to talk about this. The early Christians lived in a world where they see every day they would see what it's like to use money and power and eating. Jesus is going to use parables about where people sit at a banquet to teach them that you're not those who find your identity, you're not those who find your, your status by where you sit at a meal. You ever experienced that? People who come in, and in the ancient world, it was very, very important that the host had certain foods. We have archaeologists that have discovered so many fascinating things about the ancient world that Christians lived in, where cookbooks in the ancient world, how to cook giraffe, how to cook the heels of a camel in a special stew. Have you ever had the heels of a camel? Disgusting. Anyway, yeah, like you think about this, like, like the idea of like the cooking world of the ancient Roman Empire was not just so you can like have a good meal. It's like only rich people have giraffes. Only wealthy people have good wine. Only certain people have, and it was meant that food was connected to status, was connected to having your place, and all of these things were intertwined, and Jesus is like, no, no, you are people who remember that God sustains you. You are not sustained by how you network with other people, by how fresh you are in competing with others. That's not who you're going to be from now on. You cannot let that tempt you. And in the ancient world, this was so, so important, that one of the most, one of the most special things that somebody could have, especially if they were wealthy, is that they would have salt. Salt. Can you imagine? Thousands of years later, I have like boxes of salt somewhere in my garage. I, have, I don't even know. Like salt means nothing to us. We get our English word for salary to pay someone from the ancient word for sel in French. It's the same word. Salt would come to equal salary because the ancient Romans often paid people with salt. Some in the military would wonder why. Because it was, it was worth more than having money if you could preserve food with it. It was a symbol of like authority and power, you had salt. You were a person who was distinguished. Think about living in a world where you define yourself by just having more, just having more, just having more. I'll never forget the day I got one of my first jobs. I felt like it was an official job. I was working in a restaurant. It was a disaster. I was like late. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, part of my family was connected to the, the restaurant world, and it was this party and I got a taste of what it was like to meet somebody who reminded me of their status by what was going to happen at the restaurant. Never forgot this. It changed my life. I remember being there, and I was like a busboy. I was like a cleanup, whatever. This person comes up to me, big party, maybe I would say like 20, 30 people, and they say to me, do you know who I am? I was like, nope. <laughs> Don't care. You know, probably like just figuring out. He's like, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you something, kid. If you want a good tip, they said it in a kind of a harsher way, but I'll make it nice, this church. Like, it, if you want to get a good tip, you make sure that my glass tonight is never empty. I was like, I, I didn't know much about work, but I knew that this person wanted to show me that they have a special status. Like, I could just feel it. I'm like, I think they're important. They could have been lying to me. They could have been pretending. But they give me a glimpse of what it's like to remind people the way in the Bible would have happened to say, hey, hey just remember who I am here. Remember whose house this is. And imagine living in that world and Jesus says, you be those who are going to be satisfied and to remember that I'm the one who provides for you. Don't be tempted to want to be like this. Don't be tempted to be envious to want to be. And to tell you the truth, 
there were times where I'm like, I want to be like that person when I grow up. I want to walk in a room and I want people to stand up. Not if you're shaped by this prayer. Impossible. That night I got a tip of $100 for making sure that the glass was never empty. I have no idea who that person was, but it was clear that I got a taste of what everybody in the Bible gets a taste of. When they're in a situation and there's important people because they have more, there's important people because they have status, there's important people because they're like, we know what it means to pray, we work hard, and that Christians are being taught how to pray in that world. Be those who pray that God provides a daily meal for everyone and be those who know what it's like to have enough. Let God shape that in you. Spare I have. One verse. Changes our lives. Changes it from us feeling the pressure of harder. If only I had that. If only I had that. Now let me say, we are called to, to use our gifts to the utmost that we can to do well, but to be satisfied in who God's called us to be. That's what we're called to do. And this prayer does that in us. It shapes that in us because we are here for the will of God the Father we just spoke about in the first few verses. We, we're here that even as God gives to us, He gives to us for the sake of the kingdom of heaven coming on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we're sustained to do that. I'm going to have you stand and I just want to read this last section and I'm going to close with this. Jesus in Luke chapter 20, you can put your masks back on and I'm just going to read this and I'm going to pray. I just want you to to feel just the weight of this passage in Luke before we pray. And I wanted to end with this warning that Jesus says to us. While all of the people were listening, while all the people were listening, listening, right? Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, status and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. People stand. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. You imagine. Jesus is like, this is the world that you see every day. This is the people that you often look up to. You think, this is what it means to be religious. But I tell you, when you pray, you pray like this. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being holy, 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 and for loving us in our brokenness. We thank you that the Son came to model for us what it means to be those who trust you as we pray. Forgive us for the times we try to understand how useful you're going to be for us. May this season of learning how to pray transform something in us. Keep us attentive, Father, to the needs of those around us, to those that you might call us to, to care for, as individuals, as families, as a church, so that people have a daily meal and that they're cared for in that way. And also make us those who know what it's like to have enough, to find our satisfaction not in the next big thing, the next raise, more things, but to be satisfied with who you're calling us to be. As we go today, help us 
to read this prayer and to hear how you, by the Spirit, will transform us into people who learn to live out of the truth of this prayer. Be with us now, Jesus, as we go. And thank you for caring for us, for helping us as we move out of the season of COVID, and for providing for us in ways we could never even have imagined. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Everyone, before I let you go, just a reminder, just masks on. Uh, I just want to say, if you're a ministry partner, you want information on that, right after the gathering, you can register Saturday morning, a short meeting just with ministry partners. We're going to open up the side door there so you can kind of make your way out there. You don't have to rush off. We'd love to say hi to you. Uh, but uh, we're really excited. If you're watching online, hey, we're here. There's still room. We hope we start to see you in person as soon as you can make it or feel comfortable coming. God bless everyone. See you soon. Love you all.